Dog Nation. Happy Thursday to you. Welcome into Cover 4, a reasonable facsimile thereof. My name is Brandon. It's actually Cover 4 Live. Let me get that correct. Uh, uh, we're off the rip-roaring star here. There's only three of us tonight. Jeff Sintel has the night off. We wish him well as he does that. Mike Griffith is on hand. Connor Riley there as well. I am here there too. Braves take an early lead. I got my Braves jersey on tonight as the home team has a chance to clinch the National League East tonight. What a night that'd be. By the way, as one of our Dog Nation Daily Frequent commenters pointed out today, today's also UGA night at Truist Park with the you know co-branded Braves Georgia hats. A lot of dog fans in attendance tonight anyway, and hopefully they get a chance to see the Atlanta Braves clinch the division, but that's a different conversation for a different day. This, on the uh, subject of Georgia football, as the dogs are to take on Arkansas on Saturday, a lot of interest for all of this game and what we expect to see. I thought maybe it might be kind of fun tonight to kind of begin all of this with a little bit bold predictions, maybe. I always like to do bold predictions when you go into something as big as what this game on Saturday is going to be. So, uh, Connor, I guess I'll start with you if you don't mind. Do you have a bold prediction in mind for something you think we might be able to see between Georgia and Arkansas on Saturday? I think it's bold in the sense that we haven't seen it from this year, and it's not necessarily something you would expect given the way Georgia has played these first couple of games. But I think Zamir White's going to get 100 yards rushing on Saturday. I, I think he's going to be the first 100-yard rusher of the year. I think he's really impressed in the limited role that he's been given so far. And it's not just him in a limited role. I would say it's all the running backs as they sort of try to figure things out there. I think with the way Arkansas wants to try and play, they're going to try and drop back and and limit the Georgia passing attack because that's clearly what Georgia does well now. And I think if if Arkansas does that and plays that way, I think you're going to see a big game on Saturday from Zamir White. So that is my bold but not too bold prediction for Zamir White. And, boy, Mike, before I get your bold prediction, it would be right at the right time for Georgia, right, to find that running game a little bit in this game against Arkansas on Saturday, either because you want that to help establish the lead or because you do establish the lead and you want to be able to, you know, salt this game away. This is the time of year where if you can find some ability to run the football, certainly this would be an awfully good time to start bringing that out. Well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much dependent on what the defense does. And, you know, I think what we're thinking is that Arkansas is going to drop eight and rush three and, and try to defend the run, you know, maybe, or excuse me, try to defend the pass, maybe a, a little bit at the expense of the run. I mean, obviously, JT Daniels pretty pinpoint. Uh, you know, A&M was able to rush for 121 yards, albeit, you know, uh, you know they didn't have maybe the passing threat that Georgia did. So, I don't know if I see any running back going 100 yards uh, because of the way Georgia likes to rotate the backs. Uh, But my prediction would be that Arkansas will rush for 100 yards. They'll become the second team to do that. UAB was able to crack 100 yards. I think Arkansas, Sam Pittman, he'll know how to block this defensive front. He understands the philosophy, the whys of what Kirby's doing. I think he has a good uh, knowledge of a lot of the talent as well. So I'm going to boldly predict that Arkansas breaks 100 yards rushing. So we'll have our, obviously our official picks coming tomorrow as a part of go with the flow presented by RS Anders, the dog nation video channels. But Mike, if I'm hearing you say that you think that Arkansas is going to have some success in the ground, and I guess, you know, hundred yards may or may not be successful depending on how many times they try to rush it. But, but am I, am I to, to be led to believe here that you think Arkansas finds a way to keep it closer against Georgia on Saturday? Well, I think early on, B.A., you know, so much of this has to do with the health of K.J. Jefferson. I mean, here's a guy that's thrown for over 800 and rushed for over 200. Uh, the only guy in the league to do that, he's 6'3", 245. If the knee is tender, then then Arkansas is not a threat at all. If this guy can't run the ball himself, the quarterback, then the threat is gone. 
and Georgia wins this game handily. If they go to their backup, you could be looking to a shutout. But I've been led to believe that KJ will play. Uh, if he's limited, though, I, I take I take that off the table. You know what's tricky about this is both teams have quarterbacks that are banged up, and we don't exactly know how the staff is going to manage JT Daniels, and we don't exactly know how the staff at Arkansas would manage KJ Jefferson. But I do think that Arkansas has a very good offensive line. They return five starters. I think Sam's knowledge of the Georgia defense plays into his favor, and Kirby. Just like Arkansas doesn't want to give up the big shot, Kirby knows that Arkansas has some great players on the perimeter. So I think maybe you see Georgia back off a little bit, and I think that's what's going to create the running room. Connor, I want to get you back involved here, but since Mike brought it up, let me go ahead and just uh, address this for a second. We'll get more into the injury situation later on the show, but do you really think JT Daniels' supposed lat injury is a factor in this game on Saturday? Only if he gets hit. I, part of me thinks that maybe this is Kirby Smart, sort of like what we saw against Clemson where there was so much mystery around JT in the aftermath of that where nobody knew he had an oblique injury going into that game. And then obviously he gets hit, injures it there on the first play against Clemson, severely limits what Georgia was able to do offensively that game in terms of throwing the ball downfield. And you have the aftermath of that where he misses the UAB game. Part of me wonders if this is something similar where Kirby is now maybe instead of trying to deal with all the questions about his extensive Sets a Bennett, Carson Beck. He's maybe getting out there on the front end of it where JT's still going to be the guy. He's still going to be the starting quarterback. He looked plenty good against Vanderbilt last week, dealing sort of with that same injury there. And so, you know, if Arkansas is able to knock him around, Trey Williams leads the SEC in pressure rate right now. So Jamari Sire is going to have his hands full. Warren McClendon there as well. If JT gets knocked around some, maybe you worry about that a little bit. But if JT is able to be protected like he was the last two games against South Carolina and Vanderbilt, I think he's going to throw every meaningful pass in this game. Mike, how much of a factor do you think it's going to be? Well, I think Connor's right. I think, you know, it depends on how Arkansas is getting a pass rush. I mean, you know, this isn't South Carolina uh, or Vanderbilt. I mean, this is a better football team. Granted, they're coming off an emotional high. They're probably a little banged up after the after a four-quarter game against Texas A&M, whereas Georgia, let's face it, is, is a very rested football team. JT Daniels, though, guys, he's only played one complete game all year, and that was the mm-hmm. first game of the season. So I think this is something that's going to be managed carefully. There's no reason, uh, you know, there was no reason in hindsight, now now knowing that Kirby, uh, you know, now, now knowing that JT had this injury, it now makes sense why JT was pulled in the first quarter and no, not because of the score, because the fact is you want JT Daniels to get these game reps and get comfortable with these receivers around him. I mean, my goodness, he's only played what six games. And if you look at last year, almost, you know, half the targets were to George Pickens. So he's still acquainting himself in game situations with players like Brock Bowers, Lad McConkie, Jermaine Burton to a lesser extent, uh, AD Mitchell, uh, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, if the ankle allows him to play. So JT needs game reps to be at his best, but Kirby's got to balance that with the risk, right? The risk reward. And if there's a risk of him aggravating this injury, and they told us early on, guys, that the way to get over this injury is to rest it. And that's why JT has been somewhat limited in his snaps this week. I'm not saying he hasn't taken any snaps, but he's not full blow getting all the reps with the ones like you typically would. So this is a situation that's being managed. And I think Connor's right. 
that the game situation will dictate the extent that the quarterback play is rotated and managed in this game. I'll give you my bold prediction in a minute. I guess, Mike, the question I have about that, though, is so if Kirby Smart is going to volunteer this information during the SEC coaches teleconference, if this is forthright and truthful, that's Kirby Smart's probably first time doing that because most of the time he seems to work pretty hard to conceal injuries and pretend that they're, you know, not they don't exist when they probably very much do. We'll talk more about Tyke Smith and Darnell Washington as an example of that a little bit later on. So, you know, I guess part of my reason for assuming that JT's probably fine is the fact that if he wasn't fine, Kirby Smart would be trying to keep it a secret as opposed to broadcasting. I mean, like the comparison that I made on my show today was Bill Belichick putting Tom Brady on the injured list three consecutive years every single week, despite the fact that he started nearly 200 straight games, that, that you know, sometimes the misinformation's about – about vomiting out a bunch of information as a bunch of just try to conceal a bunch of information. I guess that was the thought that I had about Kirby Smart, which is if he was injured, why in the world would Kirby Smart bring it up? Yeah. Sam Pittman already knows. Sam Pittman already knows. And it's not a, well, you know, Kirby Smart's not the only one in that program. I mean, there's 400 people with access to information. And if you think I just sit here and read Kirby Smart transcripts to report, then that would be pretty disappointing uh, if that were the kind of reporter that I was. So uh, you know, there's there's plenty of evidence out there that we've already seen it. Uh, the curious rotation against South Carolina, the two one two one. I mean, obviously, Kirby Smart feels like Stetson Bennett needs to be prepared for game situations. And it's not because JT Daniels isn't a capable quarterback. Right, Connor? Yeah, I mean, I, I've long given up on trying to understand what Kirby is trying to do with regards to injuries and saying guys are able to play or not. He said Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith were day to day. We're getting pretty close to two months without seeing them, you know, play meaningful roles on this team. You know, who knows why Kirby does what he does with injury situation and statuses. Just from what I've heard and what I've been told, yes, JT is dealing with a lat injury. It is probably an extension from the oblique injury that he was dealing with at the beginning of the season. If he plays like he does against Vanderbilt and Georgia comes out and takes care of business, it's much ado about nothing. If this Georgia offensive line, which has been one of the better pass blocking units in the country this year, holds up well against an Arkansas rush, I think JT Daniels is going to be A-OK. Philip Hudson brings up an interesting comment in the comment section. Do other teams talk about injuries like Georgia does? It feels like Georgia's dealing with this each and every week. I guess here's the one thing that I'll say, just in quick response to that. If you gave me the choice of where Georgia is right now with Daniels, who's you know dealing with the minor – dings and you know uh you know minor injuries that seem to come up during the football season but when he has been healthy he's played effectively I think I would probably take that over what may or may not be going on with Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma right now where he just, just seems to be a shadow of his former self right now and Oklahoma fans themselves seem to notice it and you know DJ Uyunglele right now is not really blossoming into at least in the early stages of this season the five-star quarterback maybe a lot of folks think he's supposed to be I would say that uh you know, C.J. Stroud at, uh, at Ohio State's kind of dealt with, with some similar type stuff. And that, you know, thus far, I would say that when I've seen him, he's kind of only been okay. So given the choice of players who've been healthy and played and maybe not been great or a player that's been really pretty strong when he's been healthy enough but not fully healthy for the season, I think I'd probably take the scenario that 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 Georgia is in on that as opposed to some of these other, you know, would-be championship contenders they really, frankly, have a pretty disappointing, uh, you know, start to their season, at least when it comes to the quarterback play. I would agree there. I, I think, you know, JT, you've liked what you've seen from him when he's been on the field this year. Obviously, I think he had the bad interceptions against South Carolina and Clemson. But, I mean, again, that Vanderbilt game, he's a Justin Robinson drop away from a perfect first quarter there doing everything you want. Now, Vanderbilt is not 
a capable or quality team. But I, I think even against Clemson, where he was clearly hobbled, clearly unable to to throw the ball deep downfield and, and working with, at that point, a pretty unknown receiving core, he still managed the game there pretty well and led Georgia to a victory. And obviously Clemson has had a number of injuries and in an offense that, quite frankly, looks broken. And I think Georgia's defense played a big part in that. And so it's worth keeping in mind that while, yes, JT does have these these small sort of injuries that are flaring up right now, Georgia's got a pretty tough four-game stretch here where they go, you know, Arkansas this week at Auburn, which, again, is a dumpster fire, but it's still on the road against an SEC opponent, home against a physical Kentucky team, and then you play Florida at the end of the month. You get a bye week in between there, which I think is really going to help JT Daniels. But if JT is able to successfully navigate these next four games and stay healthy throughout all of them, I think it really ramps up for a big, you know, final month plus of the season for him there. No, I think that's probably right. As far as a bold prediction for me, you know, one of the things I've talked about a lot this week is my memories of the 2019 Notre Dame game and the fact that there's a lot about this build up to this week that almost reminds me a little bit of Notre Dame. Georgia had played three games to start the 2019 season. They'd all been easy wins at Vanderbilt, Murray State, an Arkansas State team that in a lot of ways is a little bit similar to this um a UAB team that Georgia played a couple of weeks ago, kind of one of those better group of five teams. And Georgia just absolutely manhandled Arkansas State that day, much the same way they did UAB a couple of weeks ago. And really through three games of tune-up competition, Georgia in 2019 and played about as well as you could. Georgia also had the Clemson game this year, but once again, three games of tune-up competition, Georgia played about as well as you could. And yet in the Notre Dame game, even though they won, even though the atmosphere was electric, I was pretty disappointed with what I saw from Georgia that day. Uh, by a national championship standard, Georgia wasn't ready for primetime against Notre Dame, and they were lucky to win the game when they did. It was really a precursor for what would end up, for me as a fan, be a pretty disappointing season the rest of the way, where Georgia just didn't come close to really hitting on all cylinders the way the very best teams in the country did. I bring that up to say, I think Georgia's in a different spot right now, and I hope I'm not disappointed by saying this now and having that proved to, to be wrong later on, but... I think Georgia's just in a different spot right now. And my guess is, is that Georgia is more capable of controlling an Arkansas team that may or may not be better than what Notre Dame was in 2019. But this Georgia team right now, two years later, I think is clearly better. I think just more mature as a program, just more fun to watch, more more uh, spectacularly on both sides of the ball. I think Georgia scores at least 35 points on Saturday. And that's not the kind of thing that I've been used to seeing Georgia do in big games like this. They could not move the football against Notre Dame. Uh, throwing it or running it back in 2019. But I think that Georgia scores at least 35 points on Saturday. And I I think they flex a little bit. Early game, but it's still a national TV audience. I think Georgia gets a chance to flex a little bit against Arkansas on Saturday. Mike, how does that count as a bold prediction for you? Yeah, I mean, a a flex would, you know, to me, 35 points. uh, What's the – I think the over-under is 52. 48. Yeah, 48. 48. Okay, so if they score 35 – you know, and the spread is 18. So that'd be like about a 35 to 17 game. That'd be the over. Is, is that what we're seeing? Um, you know, it's hard to imagine as well as George has played Arkansas scoring those kind of points. But, you know, we do have to consider that the teams that they've played have not been offensive juggernauts. Now, Clemson is every bit uh, the defensive marvel uh, that they that they've always been. I mean, that's a fantastic defense. Although I'll say they they've lost Brian Breezy and and James Skalski, two of the key players. So the the Clemson that we see the rest of the year is not going to measure up to the Clemson that we saw in Charlotte, North Carolina. So just throw that out there. Those are some key injuries that that Clemson has suffered. That said, the Clemson offense sputtered against Georgia Tech. The Clemson offense, you know, didn't look good against NC State. 
You know, if we look at some of the other opponents Georgia's played, uh, you know, UAB is, is, is not enthralling to me, and yet they were able to rush for more than 100 yards, 60 of them in the first half against the starters. I, I went back and looked to make sure those weren't, you know, cheap yards in the second half. How was UAB able to crack 100 yards? South Carolina uh, actually scored more points against Georgia than they did Kentucky, right? So I've got questions uh, like Kirby Smart said, and Kirby Smart said this Wednesday, he's not buying the hype yet. He says that the, 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 this, the verdict is out. And so I think he's challenged his team to say, okay, look, you know, people are saying we haven't played anybody. Here comes a top 10 team. Let's see how good you guys really are. And they catch Arkansas at the right time, coming off a physical matchup, noon kickoff on the road. And uh, I think the defense will play really well, Brandon. I do, but I still think Arkansas is going to be able to make some plays deep on this Georgia secondary. Let's remind folks, no Jeff's until tonight. He's just off. Sometimes I say on assignment. Jeff is not on assignment tonight. He's enjoying a night off, and uh, we'll allow him to do that. It is cover four live, though. This is sort of like back in the old days when Demolition had three members, but two of them would defend the tag team title. Uh, that's kind of what we are tonight. It's cover four live, but at any point in time, you may see three of us in the ring together, and that's what we have going on tonight. Mike Griffith, Connor Riley, I'm Brandon Adams, and happy to have all of you with us here this evening. Those are our bold predictions on Georgia and Arkansas. You can continue to give yours in the comments section there as well. In fact, we'll love to read a lot of your comments as we kind of roll through tonight with everything else that's going on. We did talk some JT Daniels a little earlier, uh, but we'll talk about the rest of this Georgia injury situation here for a moment right now. You know, it seems like that while Tyke Smith, Darnell Washington are maybe back and maybe practicing, the sense that I get, Connor, is they're not big impact players in the game on Saturday. I do take smart at his word when he talks about the idea of being game ready and working the way back into shape on that. So, boy, you know, for some of these guys, we kind of had this Arkansas game circled on to get them back and get them contributing again. It seems like the real weight may last a little longer than Saturday. Yeah, I think maybe now a more appropriate target line to see them close to the 100% mark would maybe be that Florida game. You know, you hope for Kentucky. You hope you see increased reps across the Arkansas-Auburn and Kentucky games. But looking at the schedule and the way that it is, Georgia knows they need to be as close to 100% in that game against Florida as they can be because that's going to determine the SEC East and maybe even the SEC champion outright this year. And so because of that, you know, Darnell Washington, look, Georgia doesn't need Darnell Washington or Tyke Smith to beat Arkansas. They don't need a Dominic Blaylock out there to win that game. I do think they probably need JT Daniels, though. As Stetson Bennett showed a year ago, he lit up that same Arkansas defense for pretty well there in the second half. So I I think ultimately the plan here, and maybe this is Kirby doing a a better job of adjusting expectations when it comes to injuries and players returning. I I think, you know, maybe, I'm not even 100% sure that we see Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith this weekend. If we do, it's going to be in extremely limited roles. And, you know, maybe they play a little bit more next week at Auburn, maybe a little bit more against Kentucky. But really, the game for them to be 100%, well, I think a lot of people anticipated that it would be this Arkansas game. It might not actually be the Florida game there at the end of the month. I mean, Mike, how concerned do you think Georgia fans should be about the fact that, you know, wide receivers, you mentioned Marcus Sarsby Jackson a little earlier. Obviously, the, the Kiaris thing, the Dominic thing continues to linger here. Uh, you know, Tyke and Darnell have always been kind of mentioned together because their injuries were at least seemingly somewhat similar and they happened around, around the same time there too. The fact that, you know, you can't quite get out from underneath that cloud yet if you're a Georgia fan, how concerning do you think that is? 
Well, I'd be more concerned about the strength and conditioning last summer and uh, than I would be what the current situation is because I agree with Connor. I don't think you need these players to run the table against Arkansas, Auburn, and Kentucky. Um, I'm not even sure you need them to beat Florida, frankly. And, and the good news is, is you've had other players emerge, right? It, it's next man up. You always think you can't live without this guy until the next guy steps up. And I was just so impressed with Lad McConkey. Obviously, we've all been impressed with Brock Bowers and John Fitzpatrick Patrick is doing yeoman's work as a tight end in a very Charlie Warner kind of way, which is to say effective. I mean, he's a six, seven, two fifty guy that can block. He's not a potential superstar like Darnell Washington, but you know, there's not much you can do. Originally they had targeted the Vanderbilt game to come back. And I think Kirby was being honest Monday morning BA. When I review the timeline, I don't think there were any games played. I think he genuinely believed, genuinely believed going into the week that these guys would be ready. He'd left them at home from the Vanderbilt trip to have a couple more days. And they went out there. And after two days of practice, he spoke to us after Tuesday and realized that these guys weren't quite ready. So I, I think he was being honest. I don't think there were any games played. As for the day-to-day -day thing, I think Kirby was just upset that the news had slipped out. And sometimes he can be a little knee-jerk stubborn on things like that. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm with Connor as far as the importance of their return you know, I think you want him back for Florida, just as I think Kirby wants to manage JT in a way that he's as healthy as possible uh, for Florida. And, and that's why I think we'll continue to see Stetson Benson, Bennett. You know, one other thing to think about, you know, when you play Stetson Bennett, he's a different kind of quarterback. And it's one more thing that the defenses have to prepare for. And that's tough to get ready for two different sorts of offenses, but Georgia can hit you with both of those. And, and Todd Munkin has made it clear he likes mobile quarterbacks. Now, he's not kicking JT Daniels out of the saddle anytime soon and probably never because JT has an NFL quarterback's you know, mind. But uh, he does like the mobile quarterback, and Stetson does do some nice things that put pressure on the defense uh, when he's executing. So just to be clear, you think Stetson Bennett's going to play significant snaps on Saturday? Well, I don't know about significant. I think we'll see him play. I think it when I say significant, I don't let me let me clarify this. I don't mean significant in number. I mean significant in situation. You think that Stetson Bennett plays first or second quarter in a close game? Dep depends. It depends on the JT's condition and the game situation. I think those are very fluid situations. When you say games, I understand what you mean when you say JT's health. But what do you mean when you say game situation? Well, I mean, I think if Georgia has a comfortable lead and JT's lat or side is bothering him, when I say comfortable, maybe 17 points, and JT's side is bothering him, I think you can slip Stetson in there for a series and see how he does and if he continues the game control. And if JT's uh, needed, then he's there at the ready. But, again, I don't know. Maybe JT wakes up Saturday morning feeling like a million bucks. But based on the fact that his reps were limited in practice this week, based on the fact that he was pulled after one quarter, based on the fact that he's only played one complete game all year. I mean, now think about this. We're four games in, and he's played a full game. He's missed a game. There's been a rotation, and he's been pulled after the first quarter. This is clearly a situation that's being managed. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I said BA. this weeks ago. What, say again, uh, Connor? You want answers, B.A.? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I said this weeks ago that the most important issue for this team was how healthy J.T. Daniels was. Now, there were people back at the time that said the injury was no big deal. But, I mean, I was saying, you know, back then that uh, the J.T. Daniels health is a very important thing. I, I guess, Connor, the weird thing about this for me is, is that if the lat issue would 
is indeed an issue. Like missing one or two series is not rest. To me, rest is not playing. You're either healthy enough and you play or you're not healthy and you shouldn't play. But the idea that you're only healthy enough to play every other series, like I've never heard of an injury that functions that way. Yeah, I'd maybe push back a little bit on, you know, Mike in the South Carolina game. Obviously, Stetson came in for the one series, but after that, it wasn't a rotation. They pulled JT when it was 40 to six late in the third quarter there. So, you know, obviously, it is something worth monitoring. And if he does get hit like he did in the Clemson game, which I think re aggravated that injury and, and started all of this, I, I think that's certainly worth monitoring. But if he's healthy and able to go, as long as the game is still meaningful, I think you're going to see JT Daniels back there throwing passes. I know we want to hand wave the score a little bit there at the end of the first quarter against Vanderbilt, but even if JT was 100% healthy, there was no reason for him to play the second quarter of that game. Georgia was up 35 to nothing in a game that Vanderbilt clearly was never going to threaten Georgia from that point going forward. So sure, there are rep concerns there that, that I probably do share, but I, I do think that when it comes to, and, and there needs to be a play made at the quarterback position, JT Daniels is going to be the one making those meaningful plays. Mike, you got a response? Well, I mean, like I said, it's a fluid situation. I don't know the condition that JT Daniels wakes up feeling. Uh, I don't know the risk of injury versus rest. Uh, I don't know the game situation. What if Arkansas scores first? Maybe they need four quarters out of JT Daniels. You certainly aren't going to risk the game. I mean, you know, you got to win the game first, right? As Kirby says, win. What's important now? But given the opportunity uh, to pull JT Daniels and play Stetson Bennett uh, extensively against Arkansas with a comfortable lead, I think Kirby Smart would take that. Uh, you know, we're talking about the potential for JT Daniels getting hit. Uh, why would you want to put him any more at risk than he already is if he's not operating at 100%? So, you know, as I said, you know, we've already seen this is a situation that's been managed. We know that there has been reps limited and practiced in the past. We know that Kirby Smart feels comfortable with Stetson Bennett, and we know that uh, George is an overwhelming favorite. So, you know, we're just playing the odds here. Again, mm -hmm. JT could wake up and feel 100% and play all four quarters and throw for 400 yards. Or we could see Stetson Bennett as early as the first quarter. I don't know. I think there's a wide range of things that could happen, and I don't think there's an absolute right answer right now. Mm -hmm. I think there's circumstances involved. But you would agree, though, not to put too fine of a point on this, you would agree, though, that there's a huge difference between playing in the th Bennett playing in the third quarter because Georgia's up 24 compared to Bennett playing in the first quarter when Georgia's up a field goal or up a touchdown or in a tie game. That would be an entirely different situation. And, frankly, barring, you know, Daniels truly being injured, that would be the kind of thing that I think most Georgia fans would be pretty surprised at just given the way that the, the South Carolina game played out. I was surprised he got pulled after one quarter. You usually play your starter at least a half again because he needs those repetitions. Those game reps are invaluable. You don't pull your starter in the first quarter regardless of the score unless there's more to it. And sure enough, there was. And now it all makes sense. Let me uh, do wide receiver here for a moment because I know we talked about this a bit, but I, I want to try to get a little bit more on this for a moment. And I guess it's kind of a multi-part question here. Of the Kiara Dominic, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint situation. Who is the guy from that group? And I guess it's probably Rosemey, Jack Saint, but you can answer however you want to. Who is the guy from that group you can say, oh, well, this is probably the guy that's most likely to emerge as the kind of guy that you can really lean on. I know that Kiaris played some at receiver last week. And let's say that for all these guys, this just kind of lingers a little bit. 
given the fact that we've seen more from Lyon McConkey than certainly I thought we'd see in his freshman season, although Terrence Edwards tried to tell me a thousand times that he was going to be good, but it was certainly better than I thought he was going to be. And given the fact that A.D. Mitchell's been, you know, capable and you've had nice moments for some of these other guys there as well, does Georgia have enough at receiver without the injured guys offering you much of a contribution there? Connor, you can go first in that if you want to. Against the rest of its slate, I think it might between – as long as Jermaine Burton is healthy, he's really impressed me these last couple of weeks as he has come on there. I think A.D. Mitchell played really well against South Carolina. And, and Lad McConkey, I mean – the, the pass that he went up and got and scored the touchdown on last week, I quite frankly did not know he had that club in his back. Yeah. So for him to go out and do that, yes, against a poor Vanderbilt team, but I thought that was still a pretty impressive play there. I think eventually you're going to need Karras to, to be an every-down contributor for this team. He's a trusted option. At some point, you would think someone is going to take away Brock Bowers and sort of make Georgia play left-handed there. And I think Kiaris is really a guy that could emerge as sort of that second option where if Brock is the number one on a play, Kiaris is, is going to be known to be where that guy is. I would also bring up Arian Smith is an interesting name to watch. And obviously he's dealing with a shin mm-hmm. contusion. We did not see him last week against Vanderbilt. Did not see him against – Boy, that sounds painful. That sounds yeah. so painful. It, it sounds like that would really hurt. Uh, he is a guy where even in that UAB game, I mean, his speed – is just so obvious. And I think back to the 2017-18, depending on how you want to classify it, national championship game where, you know, Miko Hartman's speed was just a difference maker and really turned out a big play in that game that it had Georgia end up winning would have been huge for them. It was the last touchdown they scored in that game. And I think Arian Smith against a Florida, against an Alabama, I think that speed could be something similar. So seeing him come back as well, I think would be something to monitor there as well. I do think they're going to have to get some of these guys back And I do think, you know, Dom and his injury, I think maybe the Florida game is probably a more realistic target for him, just just given the hamstring injury and what we know about hamstrings. It's similar to Aladdin and Oblique. It's just rest. That's the only way it really gets better. And so he's while he's working – it sounds like he's over the knee injury as far as we know, but it's that hamstring that is really keeping him out right now. Mike, let me ask the question a different way. Do you think Georgia could beat Florida with the 70-man roster it took to Vanderbilt last Saturday? Yeah. So it sounds like if that's the case, then then the do they come back? How 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 soon do they come back with the Karras's and the Darnells? That maybe that's just not that significant of a question, given the way this current team is playing. Then, no, I think it's a fair question because I, I think that you want balance with this offense and you want it to evolve again. You know, last year's offense was kind of just thrown together. You know, you went through four quarterbacks. You didn't have a spring there really was never a settling effect, right? JT came in, first game, had to produce 400 yards because they couldn't run the ball. Second game, blowout. Third game performed well, but took a pretty good beating at Missouri, truth be told. And then the last game, you had this hodgepodge offensive line against this fired-up group of five team trying to make history. You know, this year you start out with a a tremendous Clemson team that throws you a a curveball with their defense that you're not expecting – and then he doesn't play the second game, right? And then the third game, he gets pulled on the third series for Stetson Bennett. And then the last game, he gets in one good quarter. Right about the time you're thinking, this is the Georgia football team you want to see, he gets pulled out after one quarter. And at the time, we were irate, like, what in the world? Let this team do what it does. But now we learn that JT is, is managing an injury. So the, the amount of time that JT can get with these players in game situations is invaluable because – Guys, we're talking about 
a, a national championship mentality here. And so when we provide critical analysis of Georgia and say, we wonder about this or we wonder about that, we're not talking about on an eight or nine win game scale. We're talking about how does it measure up to a championship level standard? This receiving core is nowhere close to what Alabama's or what LSU's or what Clemson was the last three years. In fact, if you look at the conference numbers, they don't really rank at the top of the league at all, but they're, they're effective and they're efficient. And that's the magic potion is efficiency. We keep talking about it. They haven't had a run from a running back longer than 23 yards in four games against three really bad football teams. And you can't break off a run longer than 23 yards. So th- these are, but they're, but they're efficient, right? They're averaging five yards a carry. So, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, comparing Georgia to where we think they got to be to win a national title. So to your point, every person that can contribute is important. Kiaris especially because he's a leader, right? And because he's a go-to guy that you can count on to be assignment sound and catch those third down passes. Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, yes, he's done some nice things, but AD is going to fly by him on the depth chart anyway because AT is a true deep threat. You know, I don't know what we're going to see out of, out of Dominic Blaylock. I hope sooner the better, but this kid's been out over a year now. The, the, the hamstring has followed the knee. You wonder uh, where, where he's at mentally after such a long break from football. Where does he fit into this offense? Is he better than any of the guys that are out there? So I think every man counts. Every man is valuable. So to your point, but of those three, B.A., I would tell you I think Kyrus Jackson is the most important. I think, Connor, the point that I'm building to here is is that I do think Georgia can probably beat Florida with the 70 that it had last week at Vanderbilt. I think it takes more than that to beat Alabama. And I'm not quite sure what that is, whether it's like, okay, you're in the two tight end set because Darnell's back, and now your running game is more effective because you have the extra blocker, and they're obviously also thrown to Darnell there as well. Or one of these receivers becomes that really, truly reliable weapon to kind of go along with what Brock Bauer has been thus far this year. I almost don't know what the added element is, but when I think about the fact that in December, I do believe Georgia will be playing Alabama, and I do believe that's going to be viewed as a very tough game because I think Alabama is about to play some good football. When you start thinking ahead to that, boy, from something of this injured stew of players here, I got to have a pretty darn great player emerge from that to give me that one more big weapon to go along with what I, I mean. I think the Georgia offense actually functioning pretty well right now. I think, I think through four games this is probably even with the bad Clemson game this is about as smooth as I've seen Georgia playing offensively under smart but I need that one more big weapon somebody from this injured group's got to give me that if I'm if, if I want to beat Alabama I think right uh, the thing with these injuries is that we all thought guys like Kiaris Jackson Dominic Blaylock obviously before the second ACL injury uh, Darnell Washington we all thought these guys were going to be potential difference makers not just in games against South Carolina or Arkansas but potentially in games at the end of the season against an Alabama, against an Ohio State. And while the emergence of Brock Bowers is nice, it's worth keeping in mind, and, and Ladd McConkey is a redshirt freshman, Brock Bowers is a true freshman, when they play Alabama in the SEC championship game, that's going to be the biggest game by far they've ever played in, whereas Kiaris mm-hmm. has played in big time reps, played at Alabama a season ago. Dominic Blaylock played briefly. He left in the first quarter, but he's played in big games that freshman season. I, I think that experience is part of the reason why you've seen Alabama come in and play so well in these college football playoff games over and over again because they know what to expect. And at the end of the day, you know, you look at maybe some of the weaker leagues, that 2018 team, that 2019 team, 
They just didn't have the horses there at wide receiver. And I think Georgia might now have the actual physical horses, but they're getting, they're getting the hooves worked on. They're, you know, got a little cold running. The horses aren't in tip-top shape with the Kentucky Derby coming, but the Kentucky Derby is not this weekend. They've got time to get better, run a few more races beforehand, and really get up to full speed before playing in the Kentucky Derby there against Alabama. And then if they win that and do well, then they go on to the Preakness in the college football playoff and then finish the Belmont potentially in the national championship game. Connor, I gotta, I gotta come back at you on the 2018 receiving core. Those guys are all—they got three guys in the NFL. I mean, three of those players played in the NFL. I, I don't think the receivers were the issue in 2018, or even the offense. I thought the defense uh, was was what let Georgia down in that SEC title game. So I, I'm not ready to write off McCole Hardman and and Riley Ridley and Isaac Nada. You know, a few guys that made it to the league for a bit, and I think JJ Holloman was headed there. Uh, and, and DeAndre Swift brought a, brought a whole other element to the backfield than what we see right now. Uh, so I, I'm not ready to say that, as I told B.A. earlier this week, we had this discussion. I much prefer this offensive coordinator and this game plan. I, I think Todd Munkin is amazing. And I think the fact that JT can fly this jet and even Stetson, if you look at Stetson's number, yeah, he had the interception, but he was still 11 for 15 for 151 yards. And he can really run. I mean, he really is a weapon as a, as a running quarterback. So I much prefer this offensive style to what we saw in 2018, although the great wall was a pretty good front. They were able to get a yard. I mean, guys, this running game got stoned by Vanderbilt on third and one and fourth and one. Okay. So I'm just not ready to crown this group yet. They need to evolve. We haven't even talked tonight, B.A., about the offensive line. I'll pitch it back because I know at some point you got to bring that up tonight, right? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a big issue. You and I have talked about this, that, like, my thing on this is it's got to be better, but I also think as the offense continues to play that it is right now, assuming it does against better competition, which is not a guarantee, but if it does, I think the job of the offensive line just gets easier at a certain point. I think the job of Georgia running backs just gets easier at a certain point. You know, um, like I watch these high school games every Friday because, you know, every team in Georgia now is running, you know, this spread stuff. And at a certain point in time, when you got the defense spread from sideline to sideline, they got to worry about what's happening over their head there, too. There's not a lot of bodies left in the middle to stop the run anymore. And, you know, Georgia got probably caught up in the opposite part of that a little bit. So I'm right there with you, Mike, that it's a huge issue. You got to be concerned about the offensive line. Um, You know, it's probably not gotten it done at a championship level through these first four games. But I'm also of the belief that there is still plenty of time for and plenty of room for improvement. And if if Kirby will let go and let Todd, whether he has been, and, and let, you know, Munkin continue to do his thing, you know, getting rid of the football, moving the chains, these more athletic offensive linemen that can allow Georgia to play a little faster, I, I think there's a chance that come November we're not quite as concerned about this as we were. This is not going to be an offensive line that was quite as dominant as the one that allowed Georgia to make the college football playoff in 2017. It's a little bit different, res, you know, recipe this time around. But as I said on my show today, you know, you don't have to have 22 All-Americans. You just got to be good enough everywhere and great at enough places that you can mitigate your weaknesses. And right now, the Georgia offensive line probably needs some help from some of these other guys in the offense. And to me, Mike, there's a chance that happens. Yeah, well, there's a chance, and and we'll see what happens in this game. I, you know, an injury that we haven't brought up, guys, that I think is important is is Kendall Milton. I still think Kendall is the the potential breakout star this year. We, we haven't seen it. The shoulder injury concerns me for a running back. I mean, you, you want that guy that's a real hammer. 
Kendall was the guy that was the best in the spring. You know, Kirby had identified him as having a great spring and, and a good fall too. And, you know, now it just seems like we've got this hodgepodge, you know, pick a name out of a hat. I can't even tell you, you know, I thought for certain that we would see situations that would play to the running back strengths, but I'm seeing James Cook running between the tackles on, on, you know, fourth and one and Zamir White's on the bench and Kenny McIndah and, you know, Kenny, I, I just, I don't know what's going on back there. It almost seems like uh, AYSO soccer where you got to make sure everybody's played enough minutes or something. Well, in the Cook situation late in the game, I just think they were holding Zamir White out. We knew they weren't, I didn't know before the game, but we found out during the game, they, they weren't going to play Kendall Milton and on the, the short yardage play for Cook late in the game, they just weren't playing uh, Zamir White in that scenario. And if I had to assume, that's what I assume was, was going on right there. I think if George was playing Florida and the game was on the line, it was fourth and one. My guess is Cook's probably not getting that carry right there, don't you think? I don't know. I, he's actually had more carries between the tackles all season than I expected. I remember even at Clemson, I think he scored on a run up the middle. So uh, I, I, I don't really understand what's going on back there. But again, you know, when you recruit that many great players and you make that many promises, that's a very, you know, there's a lot of roster management that's going on. And that's part of being a championship team. That's when you when you have a roster like a Georgia or like an Alabama or like an Ohio State, the roster management is very and Clemson for that matter. The roster management is very delicate. I know you guys saw what happened at Ohio State. The, the linebacker gets upset, just walks off the field. He's out. And, and you know, and, and we've seen in Alabama, we've seen guys fighting on the sidelines. I mean, these are extremely talented and competitive players that want to be on the field that at some point we're told they were going to be on the field. And so they get frustrated by that. You know, one of the most fascinating things of the portal to me is not that Georgia's had these players leave, but that all of them had landed in FBS programs and are playing roles in FBS programs when in all actuality, only 40% of the players across the country that go in the portal end up on FBS rosters but George is about 10 or 11 for 11. So they're losing good players that are going elsewhere and playing, and they still have this amount of talent left. So I don't want to underestimate, B.A., the importance of roster management and a lot of these players, you know, trying to audition for the NFL. What do you think, Connor? Yeah, I, again, I think at the end of the day with this Georgia team, it's going to come down to offense. You mentioned it's been a while since I had a chance to speak, but the the offense is what's going to need to be fixed in, in these big games. The last three games against Alabama, the three of us here have scored the exact same amount of fourth quarter points as the Georgia football team has. That's where it really has to change. They have to show that they can go out and play a four-quarter game. And if you want to think about scoring points against Alabama and how many you're going to need to win – I mean, I believe Alabama has scored 30-plus points and I think 20-plus straight games now or something along the lines of that. So where do you get those five touchdowns? You know, you figure, all right, maybe we get one from Zamir White. Maybe we get one from Jermaine Burton. You think, all right, maybe we can luck one in on a defense or special teams. Can you get one from Brock Bowers? Can you get one from Akiris Jackson if he's healthy? Where do the points come from on this Georgia team? I think that's the, the storyline to follow when they play in bigger games. I think this this coming weekend against Arkansas, it's going to be an interesting test, just given the way that they play and the way they want to try and drop coverage and make you play sort of a soft zone similar to what we saw Clemson do against Georgia in the season opener. How Georgia goes about scoring points in this game is going to be really interesting to me in terms of, all right, because I, I think we all here expect Georgia to win, but if Georgia's able to put up, say, 31, 35 points in this game, where do all those points come from? 
you're asking you're asking where the 35 would come from in a game like this yeah or just how does it how does it get not not i don't need answers i don't, but how does yeah. it get pulled up to where you're getting those five touchdowns from how many ever different i players? mean right now just simply speaking i see probably three from the air and two on the ground right now is about what i see this team is better throwing the ball right now than they are running the football um that's just what they're better <laughs> mike are you intentionally looking at me right now that's pretty impressive uh mike uh, a, a nice uh, dramatic portrayal there but this team right now is better throwing the ball and i'm actually okay with that because as i was saying a moment ago connor i i just feel like that you can propel your running game with how well you throw it you can't really do the opposite anymore i mean people Forget this, but Georgia's running game in 2019, when you still had DeAndre Swift, when you still had Isaiah Wilson, you still had Andrew Thomas, you had Solomon Kinley. They were down a yard per carry uh, on average that year from where they had been in uh, 2018 with all of those weapons in place because the passing game wouldn't work. And teams just figured out how they wanted to defend Georgia there from, from that standpoint. So your passing game can propel your running game in the modern age a lot easier than your running game can propel your passing game. Right, and I still think maybe there's not necessarily a, a, a national respect level from this Georgia passing offense because, well, I thought Clemson laid out a great blueprint, and maybe it's just because they happen to have the athletes to go out there and execute it. We haven't seen UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt sort of do that similar thing. I think Arkansas might allow them to do that this weekend, and how Georgia goes about attacking that and improving on that will be one of the keys to watch for me this Saturday. I want to try to squeeze in two topics before we're done. It is a unique situation on Saturday where, listen – schools face their old assistants all the time, right? I mean, uh, Nick Saban has faced his former assistants 23 times, uh, and he'll do that again on Saturday with Lane Kiffin. This is a little bit different kind of situation, Mike, because of just how beloved Sam Pittman is with the Georgia fans. I think it's genuine. Uh, I think it's real. And obviously, I, Pittman and, and Smart, I know for a fact, have you know tremendous uh, affection for each other as, as well. So when you see him on the sideline, you can't help but think about his time there at Georgia a little bit. How do you think Pittman ought to be remembered at Georgia, Mike? Wow. I'll tell you what, Sam Pittman is such a fascinating guy. And, you know, just to put it into perspective, B.A., you know, here's a program that had lost 19 straight SEC games. And in 14 games, Sam Pittman has him in the top 10. I I think this is as big a turnaround as I've seen it in SEC school in the last 30 years. Terry Bowden took a 500 Auburn team and led him to an 11-0 season that I covered in 1993. That was pretty remarkable. But what Sam's doing at Arkansas, where he really doesn't have much to work. Now, granted, the transfer portal has been key because those three down linemen are transfers, two of them from Missouri. You know, so Sam has used the system and it has enabled him to build quicker. But what he's also done as a leader of men is to convince these seniors to come back, these super seniors. And that's a real winning edge when you've got eight or nine guys that, that are actually in their sixth year that would normally be gone and Sam's able to convince them to come back to be a part of something bigger than themselves. I mean, that's not about the NFL. I mean, that that's about buying into a program and that's about a positive, fun environment that Sam has created. I mean, the synergy there is incredible. And I had to chuckle when we talked with Sam this week, he said he didn't want to disappoint the Georgia fans. So he felt like he needed to bring a good football team into the stadium that would give them a good game. You know, well, thank, I'm sure the Georgia fans are relieved to know that, that Sam doesn't want to disappoint them and bring a competitive. But he, he's just such a pro. How should he be remembered? Uh, he was a cornerstone of, of Kirby's ability to build Georgia into an annual national championship contender. The offensive line was key. I mean, uh, Jeff Centel, who's 
off tonight on a well-deserved night off. He's worked very hard lately. Uh, you know, Jeff has told us many times, you know, what the offensive line was before and after Sam in terms of the number of five stars. And I think Matt Luke has really benefited from a lot of the players that Sam left behind. Um, I think he's a guy that was very important to the chemistry on the staff. I think that what was missing in 2019, as much as it was receivers that knew what routes to run, it was also Sam Pittman's leadership. And I think Will Muschamp has kind of filled that gap a little bit with that senior leadership and that upbeat nature that Sam always brought. So you're right. He's a beloved coach. Uh, he's been loved everywhere he's been, and that's why he was the de facto choice uh, at, at Arkansas because he was the one guy that they could agree on that they could also get. Connor, can I workshop a couple takes with you? Please don't. These are not binding referendums, but I want your feedback on these two takes when it comes to Sam Pittman. What if I told you he was the second most important person on Georgia's 2017 SEC champion college football playoff team. And the reason why I'm going to take obviously Kirby Smart's number one, the reason I'm going to take Pittman at number two was because he did build a great offensive line for Georgia that year, which got more out of Chubb and Michelle than either guy had gotten the previous year. That some of the success that Nick and Sony had that year has to go to the Pittman offensive line. What if I told you it was the second most important person on the 2017 SEC championship? I like that. I'm assuming you're counting coaches and not and not players there, correct? No, I'm counting the whole thing. Coaches, the, players, whole the, the whole thing. Uh, over, uh, I'm workshopping this. More take. Sam Pittman, more important than Roquan Smith. I'm workshopping the take. I'm just 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 to hear me out here. That for as good as Roquan was, if the Georgia offensive line, which had been bad, you remember this time, 2016 Awful. offensive line was not good. They couldn't run the ball against Nichols for goodness sakes. Um, but in 2017, it was an Complete metamorphosis. So had the offensive line not been better, the season that Roquan had would have been wasted. It would have been wasted on a team that fell far below the SEC championship game standard. So for as good as Roquan was, the real transformational aspect of Georgia that year, I believe, happened with the offensive line that opened the door for, for Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. I'm just workshopping the take. It's not a binding hey, reference. It's not a perfect take. workshopping the take. Things to iron out there, but I like it. And, and – you know, I've got a story coming tomorrow on Sam Pittman and Matt Luke because I think a lot of people see the offensive line situation and, and think it's it's taken a step back and maybe some of that people put that on Luke. I contend that Sam Pittman raised the bar so incredibly high. It was going to be hard for anyone to match it. His last game as Georgia's offensive line coach, the Bulldogs were starting five players that were taken in the NFL draft. The offensive line was always going to take a, step, a small step back in 2020 and 2021. You don't quickly replace that kind of talent, especially at a position where there's no hiding it. It's not like I think the Georgia secondary where, you know, the front seven I think has been able to cover up some of the areas of concern there this season. If you have a bad offensive line, there's almost nothing you can do to, to, to cover that up. And so I do think Matt Luke, you know, as well as Sam Pittman recruited there to start his season or start his tenure – Georgia signed four top 100 overall players that played on the offensive line in Sam Pittman's first two classes. And that's considered a great job. Guys like Andrew Thomas, Isaiah Wilson, who are key cornerstones. Matt Luke signed six. So technically Matt Luke is recruiting at a higher level than Sam Pittman, but because of the way Sam Pittman, I think is beloved and viewed as a human being. Uh, he is truly one of the more unique characters we have in college football. And I think because of that, he makes college football better. And because of all that, I think that's why, you know, there are Georgia fans who are hoping that, Clems that that Georgia 
obviously wins on Saturday, but they don't want to see Sam Pittman get embarrassed. I think they want to see Sam Pittman continue to have success uh, throughout the rest of this season. All right, let me give you another one. I'm workshopping this take, and Mike, you can jump on this too if you want to. Sam Pittman, third most influential assistant in program history, behind obviously the great uh, Eric Russell as defensive coordinator, and I'll also put Mike Cavan on that list because of the recruitment of Herschel Walker. Sam Pittman, third most, and listen to the word I'm using here, influential. Third most. Now, it's a short tenure for Pittman, but the counterbalance to that was Kirby Smart was very successful in getting his program off the ground while doing double duty as Alabama defensive coordinator. That was not a sure thing and a given to work out as well as it did, but because he knew he wanted to hire Pittman, and you remember, he originally reached out to Dan Enos' offensive coordinator, but uh, Enos's contract wouldn't allow him to take the job. He was going to pick an OC that wanted to work with Pittman. That was the bedrock hire. So that's my counterbalance for the fact that Pittman wasn't on the job very long. Once again, this is just workshopping takes. This is a, this is a rough draft here. Third most influential assistant in UGA program history. Now, this isn't a binding referendum, is it? Not a binding referendum. Not okay, a binding I referendum. Sure. I want to make sure. Well, I'm going to disagree because Mark Richt had a running backs coach who proved pretty critical to Georgia's success by the name of Kirby Smart. So technically, Kirby was an assistant, and I believe that he's been more influential to Georgia football. And get this, I'm going to tell you Ray Goff. Ray Goff was a Vince Dooley assistant, but his importance is that he eventually came to Georgia and recruited Kirby Smart. And Ray Goff was also uh, the MVP of the SEC when Georgia won the SEC championship his senior year. I would say he's certainly in the top 10 because of the short time in his duration and I really hate to stick a pen in it or let the air out of the balloon. Had Georgia won a national championship, I'd be all in. But they didn't. And because they didn't win the big prize, I think that brass ring is still out there for someone to grab. I do think he's tremendously influential. I think your point about 2017 is absolutely correct. But I also don't want to underestimate Mel Tucker. You know, Mel Tucker came in and did a pretty fine job there for Kirby Smart as Kirby tried to build that program. We see what Mel's doing right now at Michigan State, and it's it's not quite as impressive as what's happening at Arkansas, but it's close. And so I, I just I can't make that sort of referendum, whether it's temporary or binding, but I can absolutely see where you're taking the point, and that is one thing I would agree with you on. Uh, Connor, third most influential assistant in program history. What do you say? Can I throw Mike Bobo on there? Specifically, his job as an offensive coordinator. I think you saw he was a big reason why that offense really shined in the early 2010s there. Came just as close as Georgia did in the national championship game to beating Alabama. Uh, had him right there on the doorstep. And I would also – I'm going to throw Todd Munkin out there. I, 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 again, this may be a little bit more of a projection than what has necessarily been done to this point. But I think similar in a way people now talk about Lane Kiffin and they talk about how he really pulled this Alabama offense forward. I think in the years to come, as Todd Munkin eventually moves on, gets a head coaching role somewhere else, as we see this season continue to unfold, I think Todd Munkin is really influential in what this Georgia program has done and the way it has changed because for so many years, Georgia was always a run-first program. And they've had great running backs and they've merited doing that. But with the way that college football has been played and changed over the last five seasons – Georgia, unfortunately, is going to have to adapt and move to a pass-first system or a system where you're scoring a majority of your points because you're able to throw the ball effectively. I think Todd Munkin has done a really good job of drawing things up and scheming things open. Uh, Even in games that have been blowouts this year, he does stuff in games that are just so creative and I think really open a lot of things up and must make 
things very difficult for defensive coordinators. And so while it's a little bit of projection, while Sam Pittman obviously did great work here, I would throw two Georgia offensive coordinators there in Mike Bobo and Todd Munkin. I'm a little bit surprised that no one brought up Brian Van Gorder, uh, who was Rick's first defensive coordinator. My argument against Van Gorder on this list is, while Willie Martinez was obviously nowhere near as good as Van Gorder, Georgia did win an SEC championship with with uh, Martinez as DC. And for whatever reason, Brian Van Gorder was never the same after his time at Georgia came to an end. And that's one of those things. I'd read a book on this subject. How a guy could be that impactful as a Georgia defensive coordinator, and then after that, never had any professional success. And I don't say this, you know, uh, anyway, I'm just just objectively true. Never really had anywhere close to that level of professional success. Again, I'll never understand how that could have been the case, but obviously Van Gorder is another one of these names that'll come up. All right, let's kind of broaden things out to finish things up here on Cover Four Live here for a moment. We got a big slate of SEC games. This is the best slate so thus far this season. That's not even close, and it's arguably one of the better slates of the entire year. It's going to be really, really fun. Georgia-Arkansas is obviously one of the main events. Alabama-Ole Miss, clearly the other. But there are intriguing games with LSU and Auburn and Kentucky and Florida, even to a degree, you know, seeing if Tennessee can finally scratch for a win in SEC play at Missouri. There's some fun stuff going on in the league here this week. Mike, what do you think is the most interesting SEC, intriguing SEC game here this weekend? It doesn't necessarily have to be the best outside of Georgia. That's probably clearly Alabama Ole Miss. But which one interests you the most? Well, I kind of like drama, so I'm going to go with Auburn at LSU because I think there's a lot of high-stakes drama playing out on the plains with the receivers coach being fired this early into the season, the legacy quarterback being benched, the ruffling of feathers from Brian Harson, and uh, the, the COVID shot, as you referenced uh, humorously uh, earlier today on one of our tapings. People don't want to miss that show, I promise you. Sure. The picture show tomorrow is going to be awesome. Uh, it, I'm, I'm telling you, this is this is one of those games where the loser of this game may not be coaching in his school next year at this time. And I know one year would be a quick fire, but when you're not from the South and you come down here, if they decide they don't like you, you don't last very long. If you're from the South, you get a bit of lenience and you're one of the good old boys and you get passed around and you end up somewhere else. But Brian Harson, uh, he's not like others from these parts. And, you know, being a maverick, and, and I speak from experience. If you're going to do things differently, you, you better be right a, a good amount of time because people are really quick to throw you under the bus if you're not willing to comply with the norm. So I think Harson needs this win. Conversely, I believe that uh, Ed Orgeron needs the momentum greatly. Now, he escaped Mississippi State with a victory, but this is a night game at LSU. This is exactly the kind of game that LSU is expected to win it's also a revenge game from last year. So there's a lot of factors here, uh, as well as the quarterback from Auburn, you know, being from a, there's a lot to that. There's a lot of drama to that game. And then just the circus, the aerial show that we're going to see in Alabama and Old Miss and what types of theatrics or funny quotes or Twitter comments that Lane Kiffin comes up with to distract from the fact that he still hasn't coached a team with a good defense. Yeah, listen, I think you're absolutely right about the LSU-Auburn game. It's not going to be classy. It's not going to be dignified. It's going to be like an episode of Jerry Springer. But there is going to be such juicy, delicious drama on both sides with LSU's old quarterback starting against them, with Auburn fans furious with uh, uh, Harson, with the media in Louisiana, furious with Orgeron. I mean, th this is just going to be uh, – I, I just I, – 
I wish I could inject this game intravenously. I just think it's going to be so much fun. Uh, Connor, what do you think is the most intriguing of the SEC games here this weekend? The answer is so clearly Auburn LSU for all the reasons Mike just made. I think BA is going to be in heaven on Sunday reading reading whatever fan, fan base loses and just reveling in the misery that they are in. So I'm going to head north. I'm going to go to Lexington, Kentucky, as they take on Florida this weekend. I think that this is a Kentucky team that wants to be taken seriously, and I know there are quite a few people out there that pick Kentucky to finish second in the SEC East this season. We have not liked what we have seen from their offense thus far these last couple of weeks. And this is a Florida team that, yeah, they have a lot of cachet after the Alabama, after the Alabama loss, but a lot of people weren't really impressed with how they played against Tennessee. I think this Kentucky team is a professional team. They're going to be buttoned up. They're, Florida's going to have to earn it. I don't think they're going to be able to walk through the second half like they did against Tennessee a week ago. And, look, Kentucky beat Florida in the swamp a few years ago when nobody really expected that to happen there. And so if this Kentucky team comes out and plays hard physical football because and is able to win a game in that way, I think that's going to catch a lot of eyebrows come Sunday. No, I think that's right. And I'm going to steal a point that Peter Burns from the SEC Network made here because he was talking about, you know, who's under the most pressure this weekend. And Peter said, from his standpoint, maybe Georgia's not under that much pressure because even if they lost, they'd still be very much alive for the college football playoff. I don't know that I fully agree with that, but I get what he's coming from. But if you want to look at the idea of pressure as the way it defines the interest in the game, the one that Connor mentioned there between Kentucky and Florida – Man, Florida's already lost, and for as much as you know, they hung a banner for playing Alabama close, if they were to suffer a second loss with the mm. ca- calendar barely to October, I mean, they are voted off the island right away. And I realize they lost four times a year ago, so it's not that big of a deal that Florida's losing apparently, but this is still not a very good follow-up to you know, an SEC East title winning year ago if you've already got two losses this early, especially with all the issues that Connor accurately described that Kentucky's dealt with here to this point in time. Ultimately, I think that Kentucky may be good enough to play close against Florida. I would be surprised if they won. You talk about a team that really is under some pressure. What's going to be a loud stadium? Commonwealth Stadium, Kroger Field is going to be really, I would say, probably rocking and rolling on Saturday. And how Florida handles that pressure first time this year in a hostile environment, I got to tell you, I think that is pretty interesting. I, and, I, and I am pretty intrigued by that, especially <laughs> given the fact that it's got the night game date. And maybe that's the spot Georgia and Arkansas should be in, but nonetheless – I am pretty in- intrigued to see how Florida handles that pressure of being only a slight favorite on the road here. For pressure, I'll go Brian Harson. Uh, I don't know if he gets fired after year one, but you look at what happened to Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. He was an outsider, not from the South. Fans turned on him really quickly. And while you know, the COVID issue is the COVID issue, and we're not getting into that here in this space and time, when you start racking up losses – and you've given people a reason to, to check out on you or to say, hey, maybe this guy just isn't cut out to be a head coach. When you add that into early losses piling up, a loss to Penn State, uh, I, I, what should have been a loss to Georgia State, and then a loss to LSU, and then you got the number two team in the country, probably the best team in the country based on what we've seen on the field so far coming into your stadium next week. Man, I would not want to be Brian Harson Sunday coming off a loss. I'm going yeah, mean- to go with K.J. Jefferson as the person under the most pressure. Can you imagine – seeing Jordan Davis line up across the line and then seeing Adam Anderson on one edge, Nolan Smith on another, and you're expected to extend plays, run effectively, and throw accurately 40 yards downfield uh, with Lewis seen shading one side or the other, Christopher Smith. I think that's an immense amount of pressure on K.J. Jefferson, 
who likely isn't 100% after injuring the knee against A&M. That's a lot on that young man's shoulders. Well, I also heard a great story last week from the Arkansas staff who privately, I guess, were talking about the fact that they were like, just like blown away by what like Devontae Wyatt was doing in the interior of the defense, but they felt like he was spying their quarterback from the interior defensive line position at one point in time, which was maybe the moment when they like threw their hands up for good with like, well, if an interior defensive lineman is going to do this, then we might as well just pack it up and go home. So – you know, it's one of the reasons why, and we'll get ready to wrap things up here, but it's one of the reasons why I just love watching this Georgia team play right now is because defensively, I really don't know what you do. I mean, like the one thing I, I would say that Arkansas is not going to do on Saturday, I'm going to be very disappointed if I end up being wrong about this. The one thing Arkansas is not going to do is line it up and get four or five yards at a time through the air, on the ground, whatever else. They're not going to nibble their way into a close game against Georgia. It's going to have to be feast or famine, you know, uh, Mike, I'm sure you remember the old baseball player Dave King when the all or nothing. You know, you're going to swing for the fences. You're going to strike out three times, but you may hit a home run in that fourth at bat. And, you know, if you're Jefferson and you're healthy enough to play, that to me is the only recipe you have there. You're just not going to consistently move the football on a play-by-play basis against Georgia. You've got to go for it all when you get a chance to. And, and if you're Georgia, if you give up a big play, shake it off and go get your own havoc play or get your own big play uh, offensively. But if I'm Arkansas – I think that's the only thing I can do on Saturday. Yeah, no, that's it. You try to exploit the one weakness that Georgia has. And, and, and we look, guys, we knew that it was a complete re- reload at corner. You lost three former starters at cornerback and then another projected starter. And Jalen Kimber goes down with an injury. I mean, uh, you know, that, that's a lot. And, and I think that Darian Kendrick has performed admirably. I think he's solid. And I think we're watching to see who emerges – from Keeley Ringo, uh, Amir Speed, and I think Lassiter's in the conversation. This is a guy Kirby was very bullish on. So that position is the one uh, to me to really keep an eye on. Sam will certainly target the corners. Uh, This is not rocket science here. You're going to go after those cornerbacks, and Georgia will shade appropriately. Do they shade the side that Burks is on, or do they automatically shade the Ringo Speed side? with more trust in DK. And that's where I think we'll see a little cat and mouse, three deep, two deep, cover one, uh, you know, depending on how effective uh, Arkansas is with the run game. Connor, we'll get ready to wrap up here. A couple quick comments. Cisco Hurtado mentions uh, Latavius Brini. Obviously, a lot of folks want to see uh, a, a Tyke Smith return. What have you thought about Brini thus far this season? I think he's been what a lot of people thought Tyke Smith would be. Mike sort of brought this up earlier, touching on Bowers. Bowers and Washington, Bowers and Latavius Brini for Washington and, and, and Tyke Smith going down when they did. I think they've exceeded the expectations even the biggest, you know, Tyke Smith and Darnell Washington fans had for those guys. Bowers leads the team in receptions through four games, and Latavius Brini absolutely looks like he belongs there in that secondary, having a big pass break up there in the game against Clemson, having three on the season. And so with the way those guys have played – you know, I, I do think that makes it easier for Georgia to ease Darnell Washington, to ease Tyke Smith back into the into the rotation because those guys have played so well and there might not be a, a need to mess with the mojo that they have built so far. Uh, Mike, make this the last comment. VTW mentions Georgia and its improvement year over year. I'll give you the last three years, the 18, 19, and 20 seasons. How confident are you right now this Georgia team is better than the one you've seen in the last three years, which are the, which are the three years since Georgia made the college football playoff in 2017? I know it's only four games, so I'm asking you to extrapolate here a little bit, but uh, how confident are you this is a better team than the last three years worth of Georgia teams have been? I don't know that it's better than the 2018 team, but it's in a better position to win the SEC championship than the 2018 team was. 
I think that's a fair point. But just to follow up, tell me exactly why so I know we're on the same page. I liked the offensive line, and I like DeAndre Swift as a No, I'm sorry. Why is it a – no, I get all that. I'm sorry. Why is it in a better position right now, just so I can make sure I understand? Because I think Alabama's down. They just lost six first-round picks. Yeah. Their quarterback isn't experienced. Their defense uh, isn't what it was, albeit it's, it's better than it was a year ago. And most importantly, B.A., Georgia finally has a favorable schedule. Yeah. I mean, they had a really bad schedule in 2019 with five teams getting a bye week. I think they were set up last year. Uh, this is a schedule that's conducive to a national playoff championship. No, I think that's all really strong. Good takes all the way around. Mike Griffith, Connor Riley, thanks so much. Next Thursday, Jeff Sintel will be back with us there as well. Most importantly, you will be with us. We love your comments. We love interacting with you. I'm laughing about half the show. Y'all are making fun of me about my broken clock behind me. This clock just will not work. We've tried to fix this thing a million times. It just will not work. But I think it still kind of looks nice. A broken clock is about as right as you are right. your picks this season. So. What is it that uh, Big Lebowski says? It completes the room. It ties it yeah, all together. Ties the, the clock kind of ties the room together. So the clock stays even though it's broken. Uh, so y'all have me cracking up in the comments. Um, y'all have me cracking up in the comments all show long. So, uh, Connor and Mike got good stuff coming all weekend there. Dognation.com. I got you for Dog Nation daily tomorrow morning. We'll do our first and 15 starting at 945. The show itself starting at 10. Jeff Sintel on hand. We'll talk Mikhail Williams. We'll talk Barry Alexander. We'll talk Shamar Stewart. We'll talk, uh, Kamari Wilson. We'll talk a whole bunch of names that are, uh, allegedly going to be in the building on Saturday for Georgia, Arkansas. So a lot to do. Uh, be red. Thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that as well. We'll see you next week as well. Same time. Cover four live right here on the Dog Nation video channel. We'll be game Saturday. Everybody.